Chapter Six, Bath, Twenty Nine Queen Square, Part One of Black Moth by Georgette Heyer, read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. The autumn and the winter passed smoothly, and April found the Carstairs installed at Bath, whither Lady Lavinia had teased her husband into going, despite his desire to return to Wincham and John. She herself did not care to be with the child, and was perfectly content that Richard should journey occasionally to Wincham to see that all was well with him. On the whole she had enjoyed the winter, for she had induced Richard to open Wincham House, Mayfair, the Earl's town residence, where she had been able to hold several entirely successful routs, and many select little card-parties. Admirers she had a many, and nothing so pleased her vain little heart as masculine adulation. Carstairs never entered his home without stumbling against some fresh flame of hers, but as they mostly consisted of what he rudely termed the lap-dog type, he was conscious of no jealous qualms, and patiently submitted to their inundation of his house. He was satisfied that Lavinia was happy, and, as he assured himself at times when he was most tired, nothing else signified. The only flaw to Lavinia's content was the need of money. Not that she was stinted, or was ever refused anything that he could in reason give her, but her wants were never reasonable. She would demand a new town chariot, upholstered in pale blue, not because her own was worn or shabby, but because she was tired of its crimson cushions. Or she would suddenly take a fancy to some new and usually fabulously expensive toy, and having acquired it weary of it in a week. Without a murmur Richard gave her lap-dogs, of the real kind, black pages, jewels, and innumerable kickshaws, for which she rewarded him with her brightest smiles and tenderest caresses. But when she required him to refurnish Wincham House in the style of the French court, throwing away all the present Queen Anne furniture, the tapestries, and the countless old trappings that were one and all so beautiful and so valuable, he put his foot down with a firmness that surprised her. Not for any whim of hers was Jack's house to be spoiled. Neither her coaxing nor her tears had any effect upon Richard, and when she reverted to sulks, he scolded her so harshly that she was frightened, and in consequence silenced. For a week she thought and dreamt of nothing but gilded French chairs, and then abruptly, as all else, the fancy left her, and she forgot all about it. Her mantua-maker's bills were enormous, and caused Richard many a sleepless night, but she was always so charmingly penitent that he could not find it in his heart to be angry, and after all, he reflected, he would rather have his money squandered on her adornment than on that of her brother's. She was by turns passionate and cold to him, one day enrapturing him by some pretty blandishment, the next day snapping peevishly when he spoke to her. At the beginning of the season he dutifully conducted her to routs and ball-masks, but soon she began to go always with either Andrew or Robert, both of whom were in town, and whose casual chaperonage she much preferred to Richard's solicitous care. Tracy was rarely in London for more than a few days at a time, and the Carstairs, greatly to Richard's relief, saw but little of him. Carstairs disliked Colonel Lord Robert Belmanois, but the Duke he detested, not only for his habitual sneer towards him, but for the influence that he undoubtedly held over Lavinia. Richard was intensely jealous of this, and could sometimes hardly bring himself to be civil when his grace visited my lady. Whether justly or not, he inwardly blamed Tracy for all Lavinia's crazy whims and periodical fits of ill-temper. It did not take his astute grace long to discover this, and with amused devilry he played upon it, encouraging Lavinia in her extravagance, and making a point of calling on her whenever he was in town. Carstairs never knew when not to expect to find him there. 
He came and went to and from London with no warning whatsoever. No one ever knew where he was for more than a day at a time, and no one was in the least surprised if he happened to be seen in London when he should, according to all accounts, have been in Paris. They merely shrugged their shoulders and exchanged glances, murmuring, Devil Belmanois, and wondering what fresh intrigue he was in. So altogether Richard was not sorry when my lady grew suddenly sick of town and was seized with a longing for Bath. He had secretly hoped that she might return to Wincham, but when she expressed no such wish, he stifled his own longing for home, shut up the London house, and took her and all her baggage to Bath, installing her in Queen Square in one of the most elegantly furnished houses in the place. Lady Lavinia was, at first, charmed to be there again, delighted with the house, and transported over the excellencies of the new French milliner she had discovered. But the milliner's bills proved monstrous, and the drawing-room of her house not large enough for the route she contemplated giving. The air was too relaxing for her, and she was subject to constant attacks of the vapours that were as distressing to her household as they were to herself. The late hours made her head ache as it never ached in London, and the damp gave her a cold. Furthermore, the advent of an attractive and exceedingly wealthy little widow caused her many a bitter hour, to the considerable detriment of her good temper. She was lying on a couch in her white and gilt drawing-room one afternoon. Alas, the craze for French furniture was over, smelling bottle in hand and bona fide ache in her head, when the door opened and Tracy walked into the room. "'Good heavens!' she said faintly, and uncorked her salt. It was His Grace's first appearance since she had come to Bath, and the fact that he had politely declined an invitation that she had sent to him still rankled in her mind. He bowed over the limp hand that she extended, and looked her up and down. "'I regret to find you thus indisposed, my dear sister,' he said smoothly. "'Tis not. Only one of my stupid headaches. I am never well here, and the house is stuffy,' she answered fretfully. "'You should take the waters,' he said, scrutinizing, through his eyeglass, the chair to which she had waved him. "'It has an unstable appearance, my dear. I believe I prefer the couch.' He moved to a smaller sofa and sat down. "'Pray, how long have you been in Bath?' she demanded. "'I arrived last Tuesday week.' Lady Lavinia started up. "'Last Tuesday week? Then you've been here ten days, and not visited me until now.' He appeared to be examining the whiteness of his hands through the folds of black lace that drooped over them. "'I believe I had other things to do,' he said coolly. A book of sermons that she had been trying to peruse slid to the ground as Lavinia jerked a cushion into place. "'And you come to me when it suits you. How could you be so unkind as to refuse my invitation?' There was a rising, queryless note in her voice which gave warning of anger. "'My dear Lavinia, if you exhibit your deplorable temper to me, I shall leave you, so have a care. I thought you would understand that your good husband's society, improving though it may be, would be altogether too oppressive for my taste. In fact, I was surprised at your letter.' "'You might have come for my sake,' she answered peevishly, sinking back again. "'I suppose you have been dancing attendance on the Molesley woman? "'Lord, but I think you men have gone crazed.' Understanding came to his grace, and he smiled provokingly. "'Is that what upsets you?' I wondered. "'No, tis not, and I do not see why you should think so. "'For my part I cannot see that she is even tolerable, "'and the way the men rave about her is disgusting. "'Disgusting! "'But tis always the same when a woman is unattached and wealthy. "'Well?' "'Well, why do you not say something? Do you find her so lovely?' "'To tell the truth, my dear, I have barely set eyes on the lady. I have been otherwise engaged, and I have done with all women, for the time, save one.' "'So I have heard you say before. Do you contemplate marriage? Lord, but I pity the girl!' 
She gave a jeering little laugh, but it was evident that she was interested. His grace was not in the least degree ruffled. "'I do not contemplate marriage, Lavinia, so your sympathies are wasted. I have met a girl, a mere child, for sure, and I will not rest until I have her.' "'Lord! Another farmer's chit!' "'No, my dear sister, not another farmer's chit, a lady.' "'God help her! Who is she? Where does she live?' "'She lives in Sussex. Her name I shall not tell you.' Her ladyship kicked an offending cushion onto the floor and snapped at him. "'Oh, as you please. I shall not die of curiosity.' "'Ah!' The cynical lips curled annoyingly, and Lady Lavinia was seized with a mad desire to hurl her smelling-bottle at him but she knew that it was worse than useless to be angry with Tracy, so she yawned ostentatiously, and hoped that she irritated him. If she did, she got no satisfaction from it, for he continued, quite imperturbably, "'She is the daintiest piece a man ever saw, and I swear there's blood and fire beneath the ice.' "'Is it possible the girl will have none of your grace?' wondered Lavinia, in mock amazement, and had the pleasure of seeing him frown. The thin brows met over his arched nose, and the eyes glinted a little, while she caught a glimpse of cruel white teeth closing on a sensual underlip. She watched his hand clench on his snuff-box, and exulted silently at having roused him. It was a very brief joy, however, for the next moment the frown had disappeared, the hand unclenched, and he was smiling again. "'At present she is cold,' he admitted, "'but I hope that in time she will become more plastic. I think, Lavinia, I have some experience with your charming, if capricious, sex.' "'I don't doubt you have. Where did you meet this perverse beauty?' in the pump-room. "'Lord, pray describe her.' "'I shall be delighted. She is taller than yourself and dark. Her hair is like a dusky cloud of black, and it ripples off her brow and over her little ears in a most damnably alluring fashion. Her eyes are brown, but there are lights in them that are purest amber, and yet they are dark and velvety.' My lady had recourse to the smelling-bottle. "'But I perceive I weary you. A man in love, my dear Lavinia!' End of chapter 6, part 1